and welcome once again to Springfield Cambridge Church here in Bishopbriggs and to this our Sunday online service. It's great to have you and it's good to see you all once more. Take heart, you seekers after God. 
For the Lord listens to the poor and does not despise his captive peoples. Good morning and welcome once more to Springfield Cambridge Church here in Bishop Briggs. We are pleased you're able to join us for this our online service of worship for Sunday the 21st of June 2020. couple of brief intimations. Firstly, to say that some of you may have read in the local newspaper, The Herald, of a headline which has suggested that the church is not prepared to welcome those who are of a certain age. Let me reassure you that the church is in fact open to receive all, as and when it is safe to do. And currently we, along with other congregations throughout Scotland, are looking at how best we might consider a potential opening in this of phase two. As we are able to share more information with you, we shall in the future. And if you want to learn more of any of these items, please go to the Church of Scotland website where you can find additional information and resources. These are all the intimations. Let us worship God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, teacher of life's lessons, to whom we are but life's students, gather us this day to sit at your feet and learn from you this day. You are the one who holds the words of eternal life, the one who feeds and heals, forgives and loves even when we do and say unlovable things. We come to worship you in word, in song, in reading, in scripture, in prayer. May what we offer this day to you be uplifting for us and acceptable in your sight as we seek your grace, grace and mercy among us. When we are tempted to think more than we do, have mercy upon us. When we are tempted to live in anxiety and fear, remind us not to be afraid. When our daily needs and wants cause us to worry, teach us your ways. Open our eyes to the wonder of your created world. With eyes closed in prayer, open our imaginations too to the mystery of the spiritual realm, that there, guided by your Holy Spirit, we may learn to see as you see. Lord Jesus Christ, we gather in confession, and together we bring our prayer of confession before you now, saying together merciful god we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves in your mercy Forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, 
that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. This morning our lesson comes from the Gospel according to St Matthew, reading from chapter 10 at verse 24 and reading to verse 39. And this lesson is read this morning by Jacob Williams. Hear the word of God as it is written in the Gospel according to St Matthew, chapter 10 at verse 24. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Lord bless to us the reading of his holy word, and to his name be glory and praise. Amen. Together we sing the hymn 181 for the beauty of the earth, hymn 181. Stop. 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me tell you a story. It's a story as old as the hills. It's a story which plays itself in all of our lives. It is a fearful story. It is a story of our times. It is a gospel story. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. Some of you will recognise that opening statement from Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Cities which could be true of many periods of human history. Amid a global pandemic and economic recession, growing of racial strife, now it is the best of times and the worst of times, but also the most tumultuous of times I have known in my lifetime. As we move from phase one to phase two of lockdown release, as we move from normal to a new normal, as we live nowhere between two somewheres, we are entering what some have called the liminal experience, the neutral zone, the transition space. Everything, it seems, is up in the air just now. Everything is at a loose end in this time of dislocation. On Thursday past, I had a socially distant meeting in the church to discuss how we might plan to reopen our buildings for the limited use, perhaps, of individual private prayer. We considered the technical changes we could make to accommodate that. The introduction of hand sanitizers, the removal of hymn books, the introduction of a one-way system into the building, the closure of some pews to create social distancing, and the list goes on. These are what I would call technical changes. These involve internal, physical changes. But then there are the other changes that will be required if we decide to move towards this. These are what I would call 
adaptive changes. These are harder to deal with because they relate to challenge our habits, our beliefs and our values. They centre around things like this. What kind of church will we be? What kind of church do we want to be when we move to phase two and then ultimately to phase four? In all of these discussions and in myself and in others, the one thing I'm noticing most often is the emotion of fear, which I face in myself and I see in the faces of others around me. Fear of change, fear of catching the virus, fear of meeting people for the first time after 14 long weeks, fear of going to the shops for the first time, fear for the present, fear for the future, fear. It is all around me. And so I opened my Bible passage for today. What do you know? In the passage, we come face to face with fear once more. It seems there's no escaping it. Jacob read these words. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Today we join Matthew again in his missionary discourse, the second of his five major sections. And these are instructions we remember that Jesus gives to the disciples as he sends them out in mission. And as we, his modern disciples, find ourselves facing these words in our modern context of fear, we wonder what is their significance. But we remember that a disciple is a learner. So what can we learn from these words today? What can we say to our fellow church member who's been having a really tough time of late? They've had a good life, a faithful life, cared for others in the church and the community, tried to be true to their calling as a disciple of Christ. But lately, one thing after another has gone badly wrong. And where before they felt reassured by the presence of God, now they fear the absence of God. What have I done to deserve this? they ask. Into my head... When I was asked that question, popped some lines from the 19th century poet William Ernest Henley from a section of the poem Invictus, which is Latin for unconquered, which reads in part, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. In case you're unfamiliar with the poem, here's a bit of it. Out of the night which covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody, but not cowed. 
beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Where our member once felt in charge of their life and soul, now they no longer feel and experience that control. When Henley wrote those words, of course, he was expressing his attitudes towards the hurts and setbacks of life. At the age of 12, he developed tubercular arthritis and his left foot was amputated when he was a teenager. Later on in life, he had further health problems and wrote Invictus while he was in hospital. He was, as his poem says, bloody but unvowed. For Henley, Invictus was an expression of courage in the face of the difficulties of life. Henley had a long, close friendship with Robert Louis Stevenson, who based part of the character of Long John Silver in Treasure Island on his one-footed, hearty friend. Stevenson wrote of Henley's poem. He wanted me to understand that I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, not my teachers, my family, friends, money or the powers that may be. To come out of the night that covers me, I must be unafraid, unbowed and unconquerable. What would Jesus have made of such a poem, I wonder? We could say he's already rendered a judgment of that poem in St Matthew. We find it in chapter 10 at verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This is a difficult verse for us. But Jesus isn't talking about the devil, but about God. Jesus presents God as the enemy, the ultimate enemy, in whose hands our final fate lies. Those who would kill the body, a body that can survive forever anyway, are one thing. But to put ourselves above the moral reality that God has planted in us is another thing altogether, for we stand to lose that which even death cannot take away. To grasp the darkness of what Jesus has said here, consider the experience of Viktor Frankl, a survivor of the Nazi death camps. If there was an earthly enemy, one with power to kill the body, there it was. But Frankel writes about the things that the Nazis, with all their evil powers, could not take away. He recalls men living in death camps who, despite starving themselves, walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. He saw that as evidence of one human freedom that no earthly power could take away. The freedom to choose one's attitude in any, any given set of circumstances. So even the worst that this world can throw at us cannot take everything. 
But there is one, if we understand what Jesus is saying here in Matthew, who can take away that final freedom and everything that we are. Perhaps that's why Frankel writes that for those like him, who hadn't been killed when the Allies liberated the concentration camps, there was the wonderful feeling that after all he has suffered, there is nothing he feared no more except, except his God. It's true that we don't often think of God as an enemy, but when we're refusing him to come into our lives, barricading our spirits against his admission, perhaps then he becomes for us an enemy at the gates of our soul. A philosopher once wrote, religion is the transition from God the void to God the enemy, and from God the enemy to the companion. Life without any awareness of God is surely meeting God the void. Life confronted by God is meeting God the enemy. What it takes to get God the companion is surrender. Exactly what you do when an enemy wins. For some of us, our first surrender to God came not because God gently asked permission to come into our lives. More likely, he used a battering ram to punch an enormous hole in our emotions. He came in like an invader, commandeered space and made it clear that we would have to learn to live with his presence, at least for a while. God, it seems, doesn't beat about the bush until we invite him in. When he decides he's coming, he comes. We then have a choice. Make peace with him or force him out. If we insist on being invictus, an unconquered soul, then maybe we think of God as our enemy. God is also the enemy when he draws lines in the sand and says, you shall not. You shall not step over these, and if you do, there are consequences. In Matthew's account this morning, as in the parallel passage in Luke, Jesus doesn't warn us of the danger of losing our souls just to frighten or scare us. He wants our fear to serve us well, to drive us towards God, to cause us to live with the good fear of the Lord within us. The same God who knows the hair count of our heads and who cares for the lowly sparrows wants from us our allegiance and our love, for we are of more value to him than the sparrows. Fear in and of itself, though, is not always a bad thing. And that's not always easy for us to understand, for we have a choice what to do with our fear. Dealing with our fear takes courage, and the courage to be vulnerable is about displaying the courage to show up when you can't predict or control the outcome. Only God can do that. Jesus tells us that God doesn't want to be our enemy, but until we've surrendered him to the first place, the outlook for our inner peace is blank. Christ wants to be able to say, 
God is the master of my faith, the captain of my soul. Such an affirmation of faith has a great bearing on this life. But where we may count on this is the assurance that God will be with us. Where it's decided, however, is here and now by each one of us on this side of eternity. So today, amid all the fears which face you on all sides, remember these words of Matthew. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than the sparrows. For his name's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you provide us with so much more than just our keep. Blessing after blessing is ours, whether we think of house or health, welcome or wealth. Allow us then to welcome you as the captain of our soul into our lives once more and to offer back to you from the riches you have shared with us. Take what we offer. Take us, we your people, and use us. Build your kingdom of welcome with us as the building bricks that all may come to know, to love, and to serve you. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we here in the Western world lack little by way of material possessions often. And yet others across our world are in desperate need. Though the sparrow may not fall without your knowledge, many of our brothers and sisters fall unnoticed through all too many ordinary, everyday needs. We take our daily needs for granted. Yet lack of food or water brings to many their untimely end. We take our homes for granted. Yet lack of home or security brings death by the thousand. Lord Jesus Christ, how long must it be so that good people must tolerate and endure such an unfair world? How long will it be that billions go without the basics, whilst billionaires increase their wealth year after year? Hear our cries, O God, for justice. Hear our cries, O God, for fairness. Hear our cries, O God, for the forgotten people of our world and time, your children, members of our common human family. And amongst us too here, even in our Western world, there is pain and plight. We think of our local community, where food banks are in constant use where homes are threatened by economic uncertainty and by the financial constraints of these times. We think of the strain upon our health services or those who feel isolated and alone. We think of those who have lost loved ones to death and feel lost in their grief now. For your church, world and people, we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. In your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we are taught that all are worthy in your sight. May it be that all will be worthy in the sight of the powerful and in our sight too. Lord Jesus Christ, you came that we would have life in all its fullness. We give thanks for those whom we've known and loved in the past, who have reached that fullness and abundant life with you in eternity now. May their faithfulness and perseverance inspire and encourage us to journey once more with you, the captain of our soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose words we pray together, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 
the power, the glory, forever. Amen. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with you wherever you are, this day, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Oh.